0: You can open your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. It's on page 900 if you have a welcome table Bible. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 17 today. We're getting close. We've been slowly but surely making our way through Mark and his gospel. I hope it's been refreshing. I hope it's been encouraging to you. I hope it's been... Uh, you've been able to see the, the greater picture of, of the things that are going on here and really see Christ for who he is, whether you, this, it's the first time or you've been a believer for a long time and, and you're really just like, wow, this really is true about Jesus. And he really is these things. And I really do need to follow him in the ways that Mark is calling me and drawing me out to do that because that's the other goal of Mark's gospel is not only to present Christ and the gospel to us, but then to put it on us to follow Jesus in the way. Okay? And we're going to see more of that today. Mark chapter 11 verses, uh, verse 27 through chapter 13 verse 37 is this, this chunk of, 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 of scripture in Mark's gospel that um, it, it covers this sort of this one long day where Jesus is in the temple and there's this one after the other barrage of debates between him and all of the religious leaders. Okay, It starts in um, Mark eleven twenty seven with the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the chief court and governing body of the Jews. It was made up of mostly Pharisees and, and Sadducees, and we'll talk about them in a minute. Um, A.K.A. the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders is what it says in, in chapter 11, verse 27. And, um, and they question Jesus' authority, right? After he comes in and he turns tables over in the temple and, and he um, pronounces judgment over them and talks about the, the figless tree and, uh, and the fruitless temple. Um, and then the, the, uh, th- they break out sort of into groups and almost like, like, lining, like lining up in sort of this almost like a town hall discussion, right? They're just like waiting at the microphone for their turn to, to give him uh, the business, and so um, so it starts with the Pharisees and the, and the Herodians. These are enemies of each other on most fronts, but they're united in their hatred for Jesus. You ever have that uh, where you, you don't agree on anything else except for your mutual disdain for something? My sister and my brother-in-law had a dog once, and they couldn't agree on a name they liked, but they could agree equally on a name that they both hated, and that's what they called the dog. Okay, Lester. So I hope you don't have a Lester in your family. Actually, I hope you do. I like the name, but, but this is the kind of idea, right? They have nothing in common otherwise except for their hatred, mutual hatred for Jesus. And so they come, and, uh, and they're going to try and trap him with a political question, okay? And that's today's passage that we're going to look at. And then when they're done, the Sadducees will come, and they're made up mostly of, of priests. They are very influential in the temple, uh, and they're going to try and tra- uh, trap Jesus with a theological question, That's next week's passage. And then the scribes will come after that, and they are the lawyers of the day. They're the interpreters and the teachers of the law. They're they're usually made up of of Pharisees. Um, In your Bible, it might say the scribes of the Pharisees. Uh, One of them asks Jesus a moral question based on the interpretation of Scripture. Wants to know about the greatest commandment. Now, this is the only religious leader in this line of, of leaders questioning Jesus who actually is genuinely interested in what Jesus has to say. He's not there to trap him. He's not there to attack him. He hears Jesus' answers to these first two groups, and then he really genuinely wants to engage Jesus in a conversation. He's genuinely impressed by Jesus' wisdom, and he's he's curious to hear Jesus' response to these things. And so after their conversation, then it's Jesus' turn to ask a question, and his is about the identity of the Messiah. It's a Christological question. Who, who is the Christ, right? Luke Holderby is going to be preaching on that passage in, in two weeks, all of that with the, with the scribe and, uh, and Jesus' question. And then Mark finishes out chapter 12 with, with a warning that Jesus gives a, about the scribes um, because they're, they're not as cordial as the one who asked Jesus the question about the great commandment. And so Derek is going to preach on that one in, in October 4th. And so that's kind of where we're, we're at. This is where we're heading. Um, it's, it's just this, this one after the other after the other line of religious leaders who Jesus has already condemned through, through his actions and his words at the temple and now they're, they're basically coming and they're trying to um, overturn what he said. And so today's focus is a political question. Where should the line be drawn between... Church and state, right? We've heard that phrase before. Uh, it's it's been a question for uh, basically the whole history of the church, and it's a question that is uh, seems to be even more so thrust in uh, the forefront of our life as a church today in the culture and the context uh, of of what's going on in our country right now. And so, this is a question that Jesus is going to answer for us in today's passage. It's shorter. So i want to read the whole thing, and then pray, and then we'll dig in. So Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 13. Then they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to Jesus to trap him in his words. When they came, they said to him, Teacher, we know you are truthful and don't care what anyone thinks, nor do you show partiality, but teach the way of God truthfully. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. They brought a coin. Whose image and inscription is this? He asked them. Caesar's, they replied. Jesus told them, Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were utterly amazed at him. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is life to us, that it gives us not only uh, the way to follow, but it is the truth, it is the life, because it points us to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ. So today, would you help us to receive your word in humility, to hear it uh, as the very word of God, to submit to it as the ultimate authority in our lives? To apply it to our lives, as we consider how we ought to treat the authorities uh, over us in this world around us, we pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. 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 So, I don't know about you guys, but like, 2020. Do you know it's it's almost October, right? Like. It feels like it's been 30 years, and it feels like it's been two weeks all at the same time. Thanksgiving is just a, a couple short months away, right? Um, and I'm sure some people are thinking, like, are we going to be able to have family gatherings? Are we going to be able to do these kinds of things? Um, but, but classically, the two things that you don't talk about at the Thanksgiving table are what? Politics and religion, right? Right. Um, but somehow, usually someone brings up one or the other of those right and and, and it 's pretty much unavoidable anywhere and It seems like even more so now, where we 're not even thinking about thanksgiving it's just it 's just on the news all over the place right there 's an election year there's a, a pandemic there 's a social justice movement that's creating this political tension, and that 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 tension is being felt inside the church as people uh, Uh, try to figure out what is our roles and responsibilities in, in submitting to the authorities and how do we love each other and do we wear a mask, don't we wear a mask, do we gather in person, don't we gather in person, do we speak out against social justice, do we keep to ourselves, these kinds of things, who do we vote for, all of this stuff, right? Now, America was founded on the principle of rebellion against tyrannical government, right? No taxation without representation, right? Started with an argument over unfair taxes. And as American Christians, it can be difficult for us to navigate the balance between our submission to those who govern us at the local and state and and national level and our submission to the one who governs all things. And so the question, there's a question That we ourselves are asking Jesus this morning, whether you ask it out loud or not, I'm sure we've all thought this at least some point in in this this year of of craziness. Do I obey God or do I obey government? Is it an either or? Is it a both and? Jesus will tell us yes. Okay? Okay. But to what degree? And that's what we need to really understand as we work through this passage. So let's dig in and go back through it. Mark chapter 12, verse 13. Then they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to Jesus to trap him in his words. The they there that Mark's talking about is the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders from chapter 11, verse 27. Also known as the Sanhedrin, right? The governing body, the main governing body of the Jews. And again, the Pharisees and the Herodians, they're enemies on many political and religious issues. The Pharisees are the right-wing conservatives. They're the purists. They're the ones that, though they tended to be seen as the religious elite because of their legalistic actions and words, um, they were made up mostly of lay people. They were the party for the common man. And, And they hated Rome, but they accepted Rome's governing rule as a divine punishment for the sins of the Jews. And then the Herodians, they would be the left-wing liberals in favor of big government. The Roman government appointed Herod as a a puppet king over uh, Jerusalem, but under Rome. And the Herodians were this loosely organized group who favored King Herod and his family and sought to to push his political and, and social and economic agenda for their own advantage. And so they readily accepted Roman rule in order to gain that advantage. These two parties had very, very little in common, if anything, except for their hatred for Jesus. And we remember from chapter three, verse six, when Jesus heals the man with the shriveled hand in the synagogue, what does it say? Immediately, the Pharisees go out and they begin plotting with the Herodians on how they might kill Jesus. So from chapter three, all the way till now in chapter 12, these two groups have been conniving together To kill Christ. Verse 13 says that they came to trap Jesus in his words. The Greek word that Mark uses for trap there means to to capture by hunting or fishing. It's a a pursuit with violent intent, which, which makes what they say in the next verse all the more ironic. Look at verse 14. When they came, they said to him, Teacher, we know you are truthful and don't care what anyone thinks. Nor do you show partiality, but teach the way of God truthfully. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? They call Jesus teacher. We'll see every, every uh, religious leader call Jesus teacher. None of them actually mean it. It's this, it's this title that they're giving to him. It's not out of actual respect. They're slippery like snakes. They're serpents, right? This verse is dripping with flattery in the form of backhanded comments trying to lure Jesus in for the kill. But the irony is, even though the Pharisees and the Herodians don't actually believe what they're saying about Jesus, it's really true. They're insincere, but they're actually correct. And what's more, everything that Jesus is, the Pharisees and the Herodians are not. Instead of being truthful, they try to trap him in his words with deceitful speech of their own. Instead of not caring about what anyone thinks, they're so afraid of the crowds that they haven't killed Jesus yet. They've been plotting since chapter 3, but they haven't carried it out because they're afraid that if they do, the crowds will hate them. Instead of not showing partiality, they give preference to themselves, their own advantage over others, Instead of teaching the way of God truthfully, they twist the scripture again for their own sake and their own advantage. And so after buttering Jesus up, they, they set the trap with this question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? Now, this is a really well-crafted question. In fact, it's a perfect question to ask Jesus. But it has far more to do with allegiance than it does with money. And so the tax they're referring to here is the poll tax or, or the head tax. The word Mark uses here is, is the same word that we get our word census from. It's a way to keep track of, uh, of the, the, the Jewish population. It's a way for Rome to keep track of it. It was, it was instituted by them as they governed over the people to make sure they knew how many there were and where, and where they were. Every Jewish adult male had to pay a Roman denarius coin, which was equal to one day's wage. It funded the Roman military that occupied Jerusalem and represented Jewish submission to Rome. The Jews hated this tax. You can just feel that, right? Like I'm paying for the people that are, that are, are governing over me with their military might, and they know where I'm at and what I'm doing through this tax. It was a mockery of their identity as God's people and as a nation. The trap is a, is a coin flip of, of sorts, right? It's, it's a heads I win, tails you lose kind of thing. They crafted the question so that no matter which way Jesus answered, he would be wrong. If he agrees that it's right to pay Caesar, then he'll lose popularity with the people who have who've been astonished with him and who followed him all, all around and who feel oppressed by the tax. And the Pharisees and Herodians could kill him then without fear of backlash from the people if he says it's wrong to pay the tax then the pharisees and herodians can accuse him of rebellion against rome and then he could be executed for treason it's a perfectly crafted question designed to make jesus himself deliver the mortal blow no matter which way he answered but again just like they said but don't believe jesus teaches the way of god truthfully right now the word Mark uses for way in verse 14. It's the same Greek word he's been using all throughout his gospel. Started in chapter one when he talked about preparing the way for the Lord. And all throughout the last few chapters when they've been on their way to Jerusalem, on the road to Jerusalem. Same word, same idea. It's a play on words here, right? Where Marcus is, is continually pointing his readers back to this idea of following Christ and discipleship. It's far more than just A physical description of the road or a a metaphorical description of of the preparation of of, uh, Christ to come. But it is this idea of us following Jesus. He's teaching this way truthfully here when he answers their question. Look at verse 15. But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. They brought a coin. Whose image and inscription is this? He asked them. Caesar's. They replied. Now Jesus isn't fooled for a second. He's he's right. He sees right through what they're doing. Right. He doesn't hear this question and go, "Oh man, that's a good question." It got me. Shoot, I didn't see that one coming. No, he's not even remotely intimidated by their question, as crafty as it may seem to them you ever been in a debate with someone and you're like oh I got it I got the zinger and then you don't see that they figured out your tactic there and they just like nope he says why are you testing me same language again that Mark uses in chapter 1 to talk about the devil tempting Jesus testing and tempting it's very clear that their their motive here is is satanic in nature there's no denying their evil intent here before he answers their question jesus tells them to bring a, a, a denarius that's the coin it's the roman coin used to pay the tax that they're referring to in their question now notice did you did you pick this up jesus doesn't have the coin but who does the pharisees and the herodians right the fact that they're able to immediately produce the coin that Jesus asks for uh, makes it evident that the Pharisees and the Herodians are already willing participants in the social order of Rome. We know how they would answer their own question, even if they're unwilling to admit it, hence their hypocrisy. On one side of the denarius was an image of Tiberius Caesar and an inscription written in Latin around the perimeter that said, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus, who was his dad. Uh, Caesar was seen as a god in Roman culture. And on the other side, it was a picture of Tiberius's mother, Livia, with another Latin inscription that said, high priest. And so now we can understand why this is so offensive to the Jews. Not only was it it this this sense of of Roman oppression where they, they, they knew where they were at all times and And how many there were, but on this coin was a man claiming to be God and a woman claiming to be a a high priest. And it goes against everything that God has instituted for his people in the way of worshiping him. And yet the fact that they have this coin ready in hand while they're standing there trying to trap Jesus, the son of God, the one who really is the son of the divine, divine himself in nature, and who is the great high priest... The fact that they produce this coin reveals all we need to know about where their true allegiance lies. Jesus knows what's on the coin. He's not unfamiliar with it, but now he's out to catch the Pharisees and the Herodians in their own trap. He turns the tables on them, so to speak. So he asks them whose image and inscription is on the denarius that they readily produce. They don't deny it's Caesar's. They know it's Caesar's. And then Jesus delivers an answer that leaves them dumbfounded, astonished, amazed, Verse 17, Jesus told them, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were utterly amazed at him. So Jesus not only avoids their trap, he takes them beyond their obligation to Caesar and forces them to deal with their obligations to God as the ultimate authority. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. When God created man and woman, he, gave, he, he did two things. He created them in His image and He gave them governing rule over the rest of creation. This is why Jesus asks the Pharisees and Herodians whose image and inscription is on the coin, right? He's, he's leading them somewhere. He's, he's appealing to creation, He's setting them up for His answer. The denarius belonged to Caesar because it bore his image. It bore his inscription. So then the question becomes, if we're made in God's image, who do we belong to? God, right? Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. The idea here is to give back or to repay the owner of everything what belongs to him. Repay the owner everything that belongs to him. And now the true colors of the Pharisees and the Herodians have been exposed. They're, they're, un, or, or they're willing to accept the authority of the government they hate, but they blatantly reject the authority of the God they claim to love. They readily produce a Roman coin and yet they readily reject Jesus Christ. They give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but they don't give to God the things that are God's. They will not submit themselves to the lordship of Christ. Instead, they will kill the one whose image and inscription they bear on their hearts. In just a couple of days, the Sanhedrin will convene a secret court, a a, a governing court, and they'll try Jesus and convict him of blasphemy, claiming to be the son of God, which he is. And then they'll bring him before Pontius Pilate, who's the Roman governor, And they'll accuse him of treason against Rome. Luke's gospel puts it this way. Then their whole assembly rose up and brought him before Pilate. They began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation, opposing payment of taxes to Caesar, and saying that he himself is the Messiah, a king. Did he oppose paying taxes to Caesar? The governing body of the Jews convinced the governing body of Rome to crucify the one who is the true king over all kings he was and as he hung on the cross with a sign over his head that bore the inscription Jesus Christ or Jesus of Nazareth king of the Jews in Aramaic in Latin and in Greek the one who is the very image of God bled and he died to pay the tax, the debt that we owed for our sin and rebellion against God. And three days later, Jesus rose from the grave in order to restore God's image in every sinner who turns from their sin and trusts in Jesus for salvation. This is where we all must start. Allegiance to God above all else through faith in Jesus Christ, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. He must have complete and total rule over every part of our lives because we are made in His image. We must give back to Him what belongs to Him. Our entire self. Our whole being. Until Christ rules your heart, guess what rules your heart? Sin. And you remain in debt to God for your sin against Him. And on the day of judgment... Payment is due, one way or the other. And if you don't have Christ as your Lord, as your King, through faith in Him, then you will pay the tax you owe by suffering God's eternal wrath apart from His grace. And you, or you will appeal to the one who rules over all things. You will appeal to Him through His Son who paid that penalty for you by his grace on the cross. Suffering God's wrath on your behalf so you don't have to. By putting your confidence and your dependence in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, you are giving back to God what is God's. Repentance and faith means returning to the Lord and submitting to his lordship. So the real question again this morning is, have you done that? Is Christ your king? If not, that's that's your application today. There's no no sense in, in worrying about Caesar at this moment if you haven't trusted Christ as your king. Once you've done that, then you can deal with any other authority that's been placed over your life. And so then we have to ask, as Christians... God is our supreme authority, but does that mean that we don't need to submit then to any earthly authority? Remember that when God created man in his his image, he also gave us the governing rule over the rest of creation. We govern precisely because we've been made in God's image. It's a reflection of his just rule and reign over all things. And answering the question the way he did... Jesus not only pointed to God as the supreme authority, but he also legitimized civil government when he told them to give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. He doesn't speak here. Notice this. He doesn't speak to whether or not the tax was fair or to whether or not the Roman government uh, was a just government, but he validates their authority to govern. And that's because that authority is designed to reflect God's authority, and God himself is the one who has established the authority of every governing body on earth. And as Christians, we're called to submit to the governing authorities that our supreme king has placed over us. Jesus himself submitted to the governing bodies even to the point of death. Because he knew that God was ultimately in control. And Jesus was ultimately submitting himself, not not first to those authorities, but to the will of the Father. In John's Gospel, chapter 19, Jesus has a conversation with Pilate. Says this, so Pilate said to him, do you refuse to speak to me? He's asking him, are you the king of the Jews? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? You know what Jesus answered? You would have no authority over me at all if it hadn't been given to you from above. This is why the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Authority to govern comes from God. If we are to follow Christ's example, and we are, then that means that we submit ourselves to the governing authorities as an expression of, of our submission to God. Philippians 2 walks us through that because we trust that God has given that authority to those over us as a part of his good and sovereign plan. The early church understood this. Listen to Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 13. He says, let everyone submit to the governing authorities since there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command. And those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the one in authority? Do what is good and you will have its approval. For it is God's servant to do, you, for it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid because it does not carry the sword for, a re, for no reason. For it is God's servant an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore, you must submit not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason, you pay taxes. Since the authorities are God's servants, continually attending to these tasks. Pay your obligations to everyone. Taxes to those you owe taxes. Does that sound familiar? Tolls to those you owe tolls. Respect to those you owe respect, and honor to those you owe honor. Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and any other commandment are summed up by this commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Submitting to our governing authorities is an expression of loving our neighbors as ourselves. And loving your neighbor as yourself is an expression of submission to the God who has inscribed his law upon your heart and given you the desire to follow it. That's Jeremiah 31: 33 through 34. Because in Christ you have been made a new creation. Second Corinthians 5:17. And you're being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. That's Colossians 3:10. The one who teaches the way of God truthfully has given you the desire and the ability to walk in it through the Holy Spirit, his Holy Spirit, who now dwells in you. That's Philippians 2.13. But there's a question that we still have to answer. There's a question that we're all still asking, right? Is there ever a time when we as believers should not submit to the governing authorities? the earthly authorities that have been placed over us. What if we disagree with the way they govern? What if it's clear that they're acting unjustly and corruptly? Surely Mark's readers could relate to this dilemma as they underwent the harsh persecution and death at the hands of Nero, a crazy, crazy man. And the Roman emperor. We have to look to Jesus for our answer. He knew that the Roman government was not a just government, and yet he still told the Pharisees and the Herodians, pay the tax, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. This is the model that we are called to follow. Until they undermine God's authority and commands, we should submit ourselves to the civil governing authorities over us. Here's the thing, even when we question their legitimacy, even when we don't like their policies, even when we suffer oppression and maybe even persecution from them. That doesn't mean that we follow our government blindly. It doesn't mean that we don't exercise our right to vote or use our free speech to graciously and humbly and patiently call out injustice. It doesn't mean that we don't do good things in our communities to, to better them. We're not called to passive obedience, to just sit there and take whatever comes... To us. But we are called to loving and faithful submission. We need to understand that no earthly government will ever be perfectly just. Why? Because every earthly government is filled with people who have distorted the image of God through their sin. Adam and Eve failed to govern justly because of their sin. And every government ever since has failed to govern justly the way God has designed because of sin. Even inside the church. Even inside the church. Where the governing body is supposed to be made up of believers. Only believers. Even that is flawed. Because we're being remade in the image of God. We still have sin to put to death. We still have this battle inside us that wants to submit to other things than Christ. Because God's image is being restored in us through Christ. We ought to seek to correct and improve the governments that we are subjected to as we pray for those in leadership, like Paul tells Timothy. But we must also be slow to rebel against those governments and reject their God-given authority in our lives simply because those who govern do so with immoral behavior and policies. And we shouldn't determine the legitimacy of a government based on whether or not it allows or supports the worship of God. Even if our government infringes on our constitutional right to religious liberty, that does not give us the right to throw out every other law and live in anarchy. We don't get to go loot buildings and burn things. We still must submit where we can. Civil disobedience, this is what we need to understand. Civil disobedience is only called for when the government requires something that God forbids or forbids something that God requires. In either case, the government is attempting to force us into disobedience to God and we can't do that because that is sin. But until that's evident, we ought to do everything we can to humbly submit to the government because it's not a separate authority apart from God. It is an authority governed by God under God's authority and given to us by him. I know what you might be thinking. It's hard for me not to think this too. We're Americans, right? We were founded on rebellion against the government, the oppression. No taxation without representation. Our heritage is rebellion against tyranny, not submission to it. And that may be true. Listen, I'm grateful for this country. I I don't want to live anywhere else. I don't know, as flawed as it is, I don't know a better government in the world. But as believers, this is something we have to understand. We are first and foremost Christians. We bear the name of Christ. We bear the image of Jesus above all else. We are citizens of Christ's kingdom first, living as strangers in exiles on this earth. We're not made in the image of a donkey or an elephant or any other political mascot or idol. We are made in the image of God and we are remade in the image of Christ through our faith in him. He must be first and he must be forever the supreme king of our lives. We have a tendency to bash our government when we think it's being unjust and infringing on our rights as Americans, but then we turn around and we look for loopholes and excuses to explain our disobedience to our just and righteous and holy God. And when we do that, our own hypocrisy is exposed. We need the grace of Christ if we are going to live in obedience to him. Praise God that we have all the grace we need in Jesus Christ, amen? And it's that grace that we need to extend to each other in the church as we navigate the increasingly dicey waters of giving to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and giving to God the things that are God's. We need to guard against trying to trap each other in these lose-lose questions. Be careful not to pit wearing a mask or not wearing a mask as a matter of righteousness when it's a matter of conscience be careful not to pit coming physically to church or or joining online for now as a matter of righteousness when for now it's a matter of conscience there will be a time where it will be a matter of righteousness it will be a matter of obedience to god but i don't think we can clearly define that yet it's true that some churches have been singled out and the government has crossed the line in some states and in some cities but it's not like that across the board yet. And so rather than anxiously waiting for our moment to rebel, we ought to continue patiently submitting and, to, and serving those whom God has placed over us while we trust that he is the one who governs the governments. If you don't believe that, you will, you will not. You just will, you won't have any peace in serving this, the, the, the rulers of this earth so to speak, not the ruler of the earth. That's Satan. We don't serve him. There may come a time when, where we as a church will be forced to, to choose between obedience to God and obedience to the government. That, that might and probably will happen at some point. But until then, we ought to seek obedience to both because Jesus, our king, requires it. I like how one commentary put it. They said, obey the government as long as you can. Worship God as long as you live. We must recognize that all governing authority has been delegated by God who has authority over all things. Listen, he's not slipping He's not worrying about who he put where. He is firmly in control and he's using even the most wicked and corrupt governments for his good purpose. What is that? It's the ultimate redemption of his people and he will accomplish his purpose because he governs the governments. He rules over all things and all who govern under him stand before him one day and give an account for the authority he's given to them. So as image bearers of the king, as people redeemed by our redeemer, as one who's, ones who have God's law inscribed on our hearts as citizens of his kingdom and exiles in this world, May we give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and give to God the things that are God's. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love and your mercy. We thank you, God, that you govern all things and that you work all things according to your good purpose and for our good. Lord, we are so grateful that if we are forced to give our own lives for the sake of Christ and the gospel, that we are held firmly in the grasp of the one who holds the stars in place. The one who cal- will call all things and all people into account. The one who will make all things right. The one to whom vengeance belongs. So Lord, would you help us in humility to love and serve those in leadership above us at the local and the state and the national level and the worldly level? Would you help us to submit to one another in the church, in love, serve each other, lay down our rights in the name of brotherly love and strive to spur one another on toward love and good deeds that reflect our King, that reflect His government over us, and that reveal to a broken world the perfection of our just and holy God and the grace that He has granted to us through Christ. Lord, may, may many people come to know You by the way we submit ourselves first to You, And to those around us, as we pray for our leaders, as we live quiet lives, that doesn't mean that we hide. That doesn't mean that we don't share the gospel. It simply means that we serve as long as we're able and submit as long as we're able. As we keep the perspective that we need, that Christ is King. Lord, where our hearts are not submitted to you, would you graciously reveal that to us through your spirit and your word and your church and help us to submit even more so to you as you continue to perfect us through your spirit and your word and alongside your church. All for the glory of the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the good of those who have been remade in his image. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.